Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Recovery Talk, a podcast from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. I'm your new co-host, Marissa Filial. Each month, we'll be talking with an expert in the field, discussing substance use disorders, resources to assist individuals with the SUD and or their families, and best practices for the delivery of peer recovery support services. We are bringing you another episode full of conversation with some of our organizational stakeholders. This month, we get to hear from China of Thrive Peer Support, Heather of Peer Perspectives, and Heather of Robin's Hope. Stay tuned for stories from the field, and without further ado, let's get talking. All right. Well, listeners, I'm here with China of Thrive Peer Support Services. I just know it as Thrive. Peer Recovery Services. Thank you so much. Um, Out of Ohio, China, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, before we jump into the meat of it, do you want to share a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a person in long-term recovery. I began my recovery journey back in 2003. And once my own recovery got some kind of legs and roots on it, I uh, wondered why it was so complicated to navigate the systems needed to truly transform your life and um, and enter recovery as a long-term thing. And I really understood why people fell back into their old ways because that's what we knew. And this new world was just so, it seemed like the bar was too high sometimes. So I said, I, I want to really help people like jump the fence on this. Like if they're if they've decided that they don't want to spend one more day living the way that they are, let's give them some options that they can they can practice this. So I got involved in the peer recovery support movement uh, back in about 2007. And peer services was a little bit of the wild, wild west back there. There were a lot of people who wanted to do some good things, but we hadn't really formalized too much structure. So I basically went through and I think I started with McShin. And I got certified through them. And then I went through CCAR and got certified through them. And then by the time my home state, which is Ohio, uh, got into the game, uh, you know, I was like, I, I'd been doing this for a number of years. And I was like, I want to I want to advance and develop peer recovery support services in any way that I can to really help it grow and flourish and formalize and develop good standards of practice And so I just try to be as part of the conversation as much as possible and surround myself with other people who are doing exactly that. Um, So that's, you know, that's been about my I've been doing this for a little over 15 years at this point. And um, I love it. I, I think it is a phenomenal field and I see nothing but expansion and development for that. Uh, so I'm really excited to see the SAMHSA Peer Center of Excellence get in the game to really help us formalize that. Because one thing I've learned is that across the 50 states, uh, we we all come at this with a different approach. Uh, there's different ways of reimbursement. There's different ways of operationalizing programs. So being able to have a framework will only be able to help other people do this easier. And that translates to more people who need the help getting the help they need. I couldn't have said that better myself. Uh, thank you for that introduction and the shout out um, for the Center of Excellence. 
you're right. I keep, whenever I really think about the peer recovery field, it, we are at such an exciting time. We're finally getting, I mean, it's been around. It's not like this is brand new, but we're finally getting some momentum and legs around, oh, now we're getting some resources and some some national frameworks. It's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just, I want to say even five years ago, I was going into communities and telling them about peer services. They didn't have a clue what peer services were. They didn't understand why it, how, why is this beneficial and what does it do and how does it help people stay in their community and connect to services and resources. And now they're starting to understand that language. They're starting, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that I'm really excited about is that uh, recovery support service has always been kind of lumped into treatment. And we're kind of like mm-hmm. the redheaded stepchild, like here's a few pennies to play with, see what you can do. And, and being able to really firm up some framework and some, some approved programs that are like, this is funding for recovery support services, like treatment, mm-hmm. you get, you get a big piece of the pie already prevention, you get another piece of the pie, but let's, Let's really define what recovery support is and and have some funding stream that people can like plan and plan for programs. And that's going to, again, just expand the services to where it's needed. Oh, for sure. And I and I think that's part of the bigger cultural shift we're seeing and political shift we're seeing and like looking at chronic care models and Mm -hmm. just in the field of public health as a whole, just seeing. Right oh, wow, this really is better for the community when we support people throughout the spectrum of their care, not just the acute Not piece. just the crisis level intervention, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so you need an emergency level of care. We'll get you that in six weeks after it, but God help you if you need anything <laughs> further down in that. Right, yeah, good luck. <laughs> Built yeah. that system out yet. <laughs> not yet, but we're getting there. <laughs> oh, man. Well, talk to me more about Thrive and what you all are doing in Ohio and yeah. how it all got started. Thrive Peer Recovery Services uh, started in 2016. Um, and it started with Brian Bayless, a person in recovery himself. And he was developing a technology uh, app called Ascent. And so it was like a digital platform to help people support their recovery doing peer support. And uh, and then after a little while, he partnered with Bridget Lewis, who was doing community peer support through Thrive, and they kind of merged. And um, they started off with six, six employees in the basement of a treatment center. And they're like, we're going to just do this peer recovery thing. And it took off because people saw the benefit of putting somebody with lived experience with somebody who needed the help. And just instantaneously, that rapport building, that uh, build, forming an alliance, and then that peer serving as kind of the connecting ribbon that touches through any other service uh, that they need in their community. Being able to vouch for, I've learned a little bit about you and what your goals and your needs are. Maybe this program or this recovery house would be beneficial to you. Why don't you give it a try? Um, explaining the complexities of, okay, so you're court involved. So if you want your probation officer to stay off your backside, (laughs) these are the things that your probation officer is going to expect 
I'm not going to tell you what you have to do, but I'm going to explain the the dots that you're going to have to connect if you want these goals you say you want. Um, And just being able to be there for encouragement and support, just transforming this from a you are an awful person who have made terrible choices in your life to, you know what, we're here. Where do you want to go from now? And I'm going to make sure that you have somebody who can walk beside you every step of the way on this journey. I love that. So when did you get involved with Thrive? I have been, I'm fairly new to Thrive. Uh, I have done peer recovery support for about 15 years and I joined the Thrive team uh, in the fall of 2021. And what it did is I was running a program that um, was a recovery outreach center and employed peers and did emergency department work like Thrive did. Um, But Thrive saw that a lot of my value is in my strong advocacy voice and, uh, again, just being persistent. And uh, they had they were at a Thrive is the largest employer of peers in the state of Ohio. So we have we have about 160 people who work for us. And I want to say upwards of 75 percent of them are in recovery themselves. Um, So we have a pretty broad reach in the state of Ohio. And so a lot of peer agencies can't really, uh, you know, have one person who does policy and advocacy work and Thrive was able to do that. So it really kind of advances peer driven work for everyone to be able to have an agency um, that can really focus on connecting with elected officials, keeping track of legislation, proposing legislation, getting the word out to other people who are busy doing the direct service. So it just benefits peer-driven work in general at the state and federal level to have somebody doing this. And Thrive was the agency that could do this. That's super neat. And I, yeah, I can already, I mean, just having this short conversation with you so far, I'm like, wow, elevator pitches Her, I mean, it's all, <laughs> you've got it nailed down. You're definitely someone I'd want the face of my organization. Yeah, I'll make the most of that elevator ride for sure. <laughs> How have those, what are some of the challenges you've faced in your work? Uh, again, the people who are in positions of power just not being familiar with what peer recovery support is or why it's beneficial, um, not understanding that if you implement us at a much more cost-effective level earlier on, we can prevent a lot of that acute crisis need for care. Um, We can, you know, sometimes when we work within treatment centers or uh, Thrive is in 23 hospitals uh, in the state of Ohio. So, you know, you've got the culture of healthcare and, you know, who are these people with lived experience coming in on our emergency department and telling us (laughs) what to do? We're not really telling you what to do, but if you listen to what we're telling you your patient's goals are, Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can find some common denominators of how everybody can have a win-win. So being able to transform those cultures, um, have people, whether it's a county commissioner or a mayor, you know, say, hey, we want to invest in this because this will really help us improve our community. Um, the people who live and work in our communities, our families stay safe and connected. You know, it's just a, it's a beneficial thing, but they have to kind of see it 
uh, from a different lens than we who just love peer recovery support. Like we just want to help people. Right. Right. Yeah. So being able to put that we want to help and why that help is important just helps sell the service. Yeah. I love how you, <clears throat> excuse me. I love how you're framing these conversations it's strength-based, right? Like you're you're saying, Hey, this is, we're not, yeah. Yeah. All the values of peer support. Um, Mm -hmm. what I'm curious, and you can get into the nuts and bolts as much or as little as you like, but I'm curious for someone who's maybe they're, they're new to an organization, new to kind of an advocacy and outreach role or, or just starting out on their own. How, how do people start having these conversations? Be passionate about what you do. Be clear about how it helps, like why it's important. And then break it down into small digestible chunks that people can wrap their heads around. Because sometimes when we just talk about, you know, the 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 nature of peer recovery support and how it helps keep people well and why and you know prevents relapse, like make that tangible to somebody like, is this, are you talking to a family member who wants desperately for a loved one to be able to, to recover? Um, Are we dealing with somebody who's dealing with chronic and persistent mental health issues, or is it a uh, houseless person in uh, on this, on the street that keeps getting arrested uh, and your law enforcement people are the ones that are like, what are we going to do with this person? So, you know, mm-hmm. are we processing this through a criminal justice lens? Is it, uh, is it, is it the parents of uh, a second grader that the teachers don't know what to do with? So how, how does what you do um, translate to someone else's world view and values and then find, again, those common denominators that you can kind of say, you know, if we work together on this, I bet we can make a dent in this. And when you're able to kind of hinge on what they care about and how what you do can help their situation, like you get instant buy-in. They Mm -hmm. want to work with you because they want to be able, it feels good to do this. Like peer recovery support feels really good when it goes well. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like it. That's for sure. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit more about, you know, maybe you've had an experience or maybe you haven't. Um, that first knock on the door, or that first time you have a conversation and the listener isn't very receptive. What's Certainly. your pivot? Yeah. Well, my pivot is that I'm not, I'm not selling you anything. Like I, there is nothing that I can do to make you do anything. And that's not my goal, but I do want you to be treated with dignity and respect. I want you to tell me a little bit about what you're experiencing and what barriers you're knocking up against that are kind of creating some havoc in your life. And then let's just explore what the options are. And a lot of times, you know, there are times I I know that when I was in active addiction, like I did not trust anyone. And 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 it was there was also I came from a very transactional world where if you were like you were going to give me something for free, like, no, like, (laughs) what is it going to cost me? Like, what do I got to do for this? And, you know, so there's a little bit of sussing up people when you first meet a new peer that you're working with in terms of. I just need to be real gentle with this person 
and um, and listen to them. And I think that is the true magic of peers is because, you know, if you're if you're a, a healthcare practitioner, sometimes you're confined to like, like, what can I do in 15 minutes with right. this person to, mm-hmm. to help them with their acute symptoms? And it's missing getting at the underlying underlying reason they keep coming back with these issues over and over again. Mm-hmm. And with peers, because we have a, a lower cost, we can spend longer times with people. We truly see the benefit of the connection. Um, and so p- people want to, to, to work with peers. We're supportive and we may be one of the first encouraging people they've run into in a long while. And we want to, and usually people who I've met who do peer work, like we do not want to betray that trust whatsoever. Right. Because we know we've really one shot at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. So I'm jumping backwards a little bit, but um, did you say thrives in 173 hospitals across Ohio? No, we're in 23 hospitals. 23. I wish we were not. <laughs> Give me the opportunity to get in 173. Yeah. <laughs> 23. Um, talk to me a little bit about, and I know you're new to Thrive, so maybe you don't know, but talk to me a little more about the the landscape of the field of recovery in Ohio, like these last five years as Thrive has really, be- sounds like, become ubiquitous. Yeah. So uh, back in 2018 was when we had a governor who expanded Medicaid. And so more people who needed the service were eligible. And then in 2018, the state made it Medicaid peer recovery support became Medicaid reimbursable for substance use disorder. And uh, and so a lot of treatment agencies were like, well, we'll get some peers. We'll you know, we'll provide this peer service. And what they realized is that peer work is a lot messier than clinical work. Now, <laughs> peer work is not isolated from clinical work. Uh, right. We have to have treatment plans. We have to have assessments, all that good stuff. But we are an adjunct to clinical. We are the non-clinical part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many of the agencies that said, oh, we'll do this peer thing, like they realized it's a little more work than they, they set out for. So people who were doing really good peer work, recovery service agencies um, said, I'm going to, you know, let me be the expert of all things recovery support. You be the clinical experts. So Mm -hmm. we've seen some grassroots organizations um, kind of spring up that do recovery support well. And Thrive is certainly one of those. Thrive is a Thrive operates very much like a business instead of like a traditional nonprofit. So we uh, are all tasked to really think fast and fluid, be able to react, um, sense the landscapes. We hire really smart people. You know, this is one of the environments that I really feel good about the people that I work with being subject matter experts of what their department is and, uh, and telling me what I need to do to, to speak competently, competently as we um, take Thrive, you know, statewide and then hopefully nationally at some point, because that's where we see this. We really see yeah. the needs of peers being 
uh, really far and wide. And, you know, if Thrive has done the framework to operationalize that in other states, but again, there's other states that are doing really good stuff too. Mm-hmm. And I get, I, I get completely energized on our peer center of excellence calls when I get to hear, uh, you know, the, I've listened to many episodes of this podcast and, uh, you know, just things that I hear that are happening. I heard one about Pittsburgh and Recovery Row, and I'm just very excited about that's a fantastic idea. Have a hub of recovery in communities. Yeah, it is exciting, and I, I mean, I, I don't ever want to take for granted the people I get to be around. You've said it too, like just getting to be in the rooms and hear what people are doing. It is. It's energizing and inspiring, yeah. and you just keep thinking man, we're standing on shoulders of giants and this is just so cool. And yeah, I mean, maybe I'm sounding too cheesy right now, but it really, I love it. I really do. I, I, I love gushing about this stuff. And, you know, when, when I hear things, I'm, I think probably part of my reason that I'm in this advocacy and policy game is that I, I don't have the common sense to be intimidated to introduce myself to people. So like <laughs> I, I hear something and I, I'll see their like their contact information in the show notes. And I'm like, knock, knock, knock. Hello. <laughs> Hi, I'm China. I'm from Ohio. You know, can we talk? And, you know, just really wonderful conversations have sprung up over the years where, you know, if I, if I hear something or I, I sense an opportunity, I you know, I'm having conversations that aren't tied to behavioral health. So I'm having conversations in public health sectors and reentry communities and houses, populations and uh, public safety. And and I'm like, peers, you know, we could put peers in your in your oh, yeah. uh, sectors as well. And, you know, the big conversation is how do we fund that? And mm-hmm. so when I hear from somebody else, we've already done that. We did a waiver program. We did a demonstration program. Um, I again going back to Pittsburgh, found out they're doing uh, MOUD inductions by paramedics in people's living rooms who are having withdrawal symptoms. And I'm like, tell me how you got that. <laughs> <to happen." laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we just, I mean. I mean, this could apply to the recovery field or any sector. It's just like when you get those innovators together in a room to start, I mean, you got to start the conversation to connect and to help the doers do it bigger and better. Yes. Well, we're nearing the end of our time together. Is there anything Mm -hmm. you want to plug or or share? I I have Thrive is Thrive has got, many, many initiatives. We have our ED, uh, Thrive ED program that we're in the 23 emergency departments. We are in correctional facilities. We're in some intervention courts. Uh, In Ohio, we have something called QRT, which is quick response teams that goes out post-overdose. We're trying to get peers implemented in that sector, um, you know, so we're really kind of advancing peer-driven work as as far and wide as we can. We have, Ohio has an initiative called Ohio Rise, which is peer services for multi-system involved youth and their families. And so this is brand new. 
And Thrive was awarded the contract to do the statewide call center to take the calls from the families and and systems that are saying, hey, we've got a youth that needs some services. Now, we're not providing the service for that. We're just hearing what, you know, again, peers are great at listening. We're listening to the situation. And then we are deploying what's called a MRSS, a mobile response stabilization service. So again, not quite that acute emergency level of care where you're calling 911, but a little bit of building out the infrastructure of how can we get people help just before that to see if we can stabilize them at that point. So this is brand new. Don't have a ton of information on it, but it's really excited that Thrive's been selected as the statewide provider of this. Um, it's huge. I know that the goal is to um, to roll it into the national 988 program within a few years. So we'll see how that fleshes out. But between now and then, we're going to try and get some competency. And we've done call centers before. We have warm lines. We've 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 done we've operated call centers for that quite successfully. Um, but so we're going to be branching out. I know a lot of states already have youth and family services, but Ohio, this is our first foray into it. So we're going to see how we can wrap our heads and minds and legs around, um, you know, serving a, a very different population. And I'm really excited to, to see how this goes. And if anybody has any expertise, get in touch with me. <laughs> Feel free to plug your email address if you want to. <laughs> C. Darrington, D-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N at thrivepeersupport.com. Awesome. Well, China, thank you so much for this conversation and, and thank you for everything you do, not, not just for peers and not just for Ohio, but the world. Thank you. Oh, really grateful that I'm able to do it and uh, looking forward to getting more and more peers involved in this whole whole arena. And thank you for what you do and thank you for having me on. Absolutely. All right. All right, listeners, I'm here with Heather from Peer Perspective Wellness. Is that the full title of the organization? Yes, yes, you're correct. <laughs> Thanks, Heather. All right, Heather. Well, what, thank you for being here today. You want to share a little bit about yourself? Yes. Um, so yeah, my name is Heather. I use the pronouns she, they, and I wanted to introduce myself with the wheel of power and privilege because I think who I am and what I'm doing is important. Um, and so <clears throat> I'm a 30-something white non-binary person. Um, I'm a citizen of the United States. Um, I have uh, post-secondary education. I have some disability, which is variable. I have um, several neurological and autoimmune conditions I live with and manage. Um, I uh, My sexuality is variable and fluid. Um, I am uh, neurodivergent. I'm an autistic person and um, manage some various other neurodivergence kinds of things. I'm also a parent to a group of neurodivergent children. <clears throat> My mental health is mostly stable. Um, still struggle with ongoing um, uh, complex trauma-related things. 
body size is average, although I will say I'm vertically challenged. I'm not very tall. <laughs> that gets annoying sometimes. <laughs> um, I am an, a property owner. I'm probably middle, lower class. Um, I'm divorced and a single co-parent, um, English speaker, and uh, I think I covered all the things. I'm I'm a white person. I don't know if I said that Caucasian um, at the beginning. So just to paint a picture of who I am and where I come from. Thank you for sharing. And yeah, you're welcome. Well, do you want to tell me a little bit more about Peerspective? Sure. So I, Peerspective is a, a small business. It's just me <laughs> right now. Um, I am the... Uh, I'm a certified peer specialist and certified parent peer specialist in the state of Wisconsin. And so I've been doing um, peer work for the past, um, I guess, 14 years um, informally and then um, more formally in the certified world uh, the past 11 years. And um, it's been a really big part of my life. Um, I started in peer work as the a veteran spouse. So I was part of a community in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that um, spouses would get together for combat veterans. And um, that's kind of where I learned about peer support and how and why it was effective for me, just being together with other people in the same kind of life experience. Uh, and then later on, I... Um, kind of fell into peer support. I got a job. <laughs> They're like, we need someone with lived experience. And I was like, oh, I know about that. <laughs> and um, kind of stuck with it ever since then. And I had to get trained and certified after the process of getting a job because um, it was so new to organizations at the time. This was like 10 years ago in Wisconsin. And um, I spent most of my professional uh, peer career, I'll say, doing crisis-based work in Milwaukee County. Um, I was part of a peer-run program that um, when folks would have a crisis or be hospitalized or call the suicide hotline, um, they could be referred to get peer support. If um, they've tried and had other traditional services and they weren't interested in those things, they could, they're like, hey, do you want to work with a peer? So we would um, kind of capture these folks maybe that would fall in between all these different systems and services. Maybe they had private insurance and they couldn't access Medicaid-based programs, for example. So um, I did that for most of my professional career. And um, most recently with life and COVID changes, started um, to just do my work as a contracting peer. Um, I did a lot of systems and administrative work and I realized what I was missing and what I really enjoy is doing individual work with people kind of more deeply. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do that now in addition to um, supporting folks through yoga practice. Um, so I use my peer skills and I blend that and, and the comprehensive community services model, the CCS, which is a Medicaid carve out. I get to do, um, peer support and yoga with the people that I work with. And it's a really wonderful way to um, be with people, to talk with them, and then um, to make shapes with their bodies, I like to say. Yeah, that's super cool. What, and you kind of touched on this, but tell me more about what inspired you to start Peerspective. Like what, tell me more about it, that. So, yeah, so I started my business actually I think in like 2016 originally and it I'm a in the state of Wisconsin I've been a peer specialist trainer so I train 
um, a co-train uh, with another trainer, usually folks, to be eligible for the certification process. And so I started my LLC originally so I could do training kind of outside of my regular work because I just so much love um, being involved with peer people mm-hmm. um, in all ways, supporting folks and then also supporting um, people to learn more about doing this kind of work or how do I how do people use their skills. So it started that way. And I've kind of kept it in, on the side for, you know, the past five years. and. Then last year, um, after COVID life, what I call crisis schooling, <laughs> kids at home, um, um, I just decided to make some changes about how I worked, what I wanted to do in my work, and actually what would support me as far as like my own access needs and how who I am as a person and a worker and what makes sense. So I launched into doing contracting work, um, so still doing training doing some work with individual folks. And I really wanted to, yoga has also been a really big part of my life and my recovery for the past 12 years. I've always enjoyed being a student. And um, so I kept getting asked, like, well, can you share this? Can you teach this? And I was like, well, I just kind of like doing it for myself. Yeah. And so it, it seemed like time to um, to branch off and be able to share this with folks. I was at a place in my my own life and recovery where it made sense to um, do that with people. And actually just recently I started renting my, my first own commercial space. So I have a little private space where I get to see people. And um, so I'm just growing. I like to say I'm growing more deeply. I'm not expanding and getting bigger and larger, but just really getting deeper with people and who they are and um, supporting wellness overall. I love that. That's so cool. And congrats on the commercial space. That's huge. Yes. Thank you. It's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Can you talk me through, at, I, I'm thinking a number of things, but one of the things I'm thinking about is it, whether you're a peer or not launching into like being an entrepreneur and starting your own business, um, what are some of the challenges you face doing so? And how'd you, how'd you overcome those? Yes. Good question. Thank you for asking. Um, I I think part of it was, first of all, learning, like, how do I establish an LLC? Like, what do I need to do that? I thought I needed to hire an attorney and pay all these fees. But then I went online and I was like, oh, you pay this hundred something dollar fee and I can register my LLC. And kind of that was the first step. And once I did that, I was like, okay, well, now I have a business, <laughs> a business owner. Um, <laughs> <I know> what? <laughs> And along the way, um, I've received a lot of support through, um, in my state, there's a small business development center, the SBDC. And so I've been working actually also with um, a business coach and someone who's been kind of like supporting me and understanding um, different business aspects that I might not have understood from the bigger picture. But also, um, it's been interesting to explore um, how do I operate from a... I think I chose to operate my own business because I wanted to operate it from a place of my values. Mm -hmm. And so that was what I think was my biggest inspiration for actually launching, um, moving away from um, a full-time salaried role into this work was to be guided by my own values, which are access, inclusion, justice, and peace. And so those that's the foundation of my decisions and how I do what I do, what I take on, what I don't. 
having a say in those things, I think is also important for me as a business owner and a peer person, knowing that I have experienced um, and been part of like the way systems um, perpetuate harm. And that was not okay with me. um, So I've really had to step back and explore that. Um, And that made it worth some of the risks and different things I'm doing right now. I do fee for service work. So if I don't work, I can't get paid. So that's a disadvantage. (laughs) <laughs> um, and it's contract based. So the sustainability and long-term things of that can be different, difficult. Um, I do have, um, privilege of, um, uh, cohabitating a home and having another person support some bills and things. So there's an advantage I have there to be able to do that, which I definitely acknowledge. Um, I wouldn't have otherwise felt, confident and in launching into this direction mm-hmm. um and also being like connected to my peer colleagues who like want to see me win and just like letting people know what i'm up to like cheering me on giving me ideas or suggestions of how i can step in or support different things um <clears throat> i recently did my taxes and i realized last year i got paid from like seven different sources and so managing numbers and Excel spreadsheets is not my expertise. <laughs> so it was really messy. <laughs> yeah. And um, thankfully, I had a very patient tax person to help <laughs> me through all of that. Um, so finding a good tax person <clears throat> um, and just learning those things. So there's a, there's a lot to it. But also, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to um, see more uh, more peerpreneurs to collaborate with. I think I've been connecting to a lot of folks who do some stuff on the side, and just having a network of like what's ha- what's helping, what's hard, like how are you doing with this? Because it's um, it can be it feels lonely. Yeah, sometimes is also I feel lonely sometimes. Yeah, that's I hear you, and not in a way to devalue your experience, but I I just I do think that loneliness is such a human experience, right? Mm. I mean, it's not necessarily industry specific or anything specific. It's just human. I I came from an organization that I think employed over 50 peer workers. So um, moving from that to like myself, it's a very different experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can only, I can't even imagine do you have, so it is just you, you don't have anyone who, who works with you in a formal sense? Not right now. No, I, it's interesting. The, my business coaches want me to like build and grow and position. And I just, I'm getting comfortable learning how to manage. And mm-hmm. so, and my values want me to like the way I'm exploring is like line more deeply kind of get to know these people that I am serving and working with and um, healing happens in relation. So that's important to me. And when I, when I found when I was doing crisis-based work, you know, we'd have 70 or 80 people in our program. So I was a, ma- um, a supervisor. So just like connecting with all these people in small ways all the time was harder for me as a person. Um, and it took a different kind of toll on me than, so I find this actually is more mutually supportive of my own experience to be able to connect more deeply and move more slowly. Mm-hmm. I joke and say, I really enjoyed the COVID pace life. <laughs> it was like slower. And when it first started, and I think things have evolved um, and changed, 
but slowly and deeply. And that's like what the practice of yoga is for me too. I mm. keep coming to this idea of like the yoga of peer support is kind of <laughs> how I think about what I do. And that yoga, like only one aspect of it is like physical practice and making shapes and doing asana or postures. But for me, it's really about like learning discernment and like moving from gross to subtle. And so mm. how do I explore that subtle, the, the answers that are subtle or the truth that is subtle or mm, when something comes up and I'm like, oh, what's that about? Like just the, the subtle kind of exploring of what that is um, for me is like the practice of yoga and supporting others to be self-determined and um, building that as a skill mm, I think mm-hmm. can be really valuable in navigating just life in general. Yeah. I really like that perspective. It's, it works. It fits. Makes mm-hmm. sense to me. Can you talk a little more about how you see the values and practice of yoga aligning or overlapping with the values of recovery? Yeah. Um, I should preface this by saying, um, so I have like a 200 hour registered yoga teacher certification. Cause that's like a requirement by the bureaucratic systems that I work in. Um, mm-hmm. And I did it for my own learning cause it's important. But I view myself as like a post-lineage peer guide, like peer as in peer specialist, like P-E-R guide. Mm-hmm. And I use um, like what have I learned from my own practice and exploring that and then sharing that with others. Um, I started yoga at the same time that I started my uh, I practice abstinence-based sobriety. So at the same time I got um, started that, I incorporated yoga into my life. And um, so just like my body remembers it as something that goes together, <laughs> first of all. Sure. And it also supported some of my physical health and wellness when I needed that um, as a neurodivergent person. Um, yoga supports some of my sensory needs. Um mm in a way that um, it, it helped me become more um, kinesthetically aware of what was happening in my body and what was overwhelming and what was not. So that's been a really important tool for me to practice like discernment about like my own sensory profile. <clears throat> um, yoga has allowed me that. Um, and Yoga and recovery are both like about self-exploration and self-determination and um, the premise of yoga is to be like universally accessible. Um, I think it's, there's been some colonization of yoga. Well, that's another conversation, (laughs) but um, (laughs) ultimately anybody can do yoga. A lot of comment I get often is like, well, I'm not flexible enough to do yoga. And I'm like, well, perfect. You're the perfect (laughs) for yoga. (laughs) Um, And it's just like noticing um, at what point do you feel the tightness or tension in body and like just saying hello to that. (laughs) Um, And so I think um, yoga allows one to really meet their body where it's at. In the same way, like in recovery, I just have to start today and um, 
see what see what this day brings. Um, do one day at a time, and just um, come to a deeper listening of what's happening within. I think recovery is about that. I think yoga is about that, and also in in my experience in like the Western world. Um, so much of what I was doing with my recovery was like my thinking and my mental mind. Mm -hmm. And when I could incorporate yoga, it allowed me to move more into my body and like, what does an embodiment of my recovery look like? I might think things and speak things and do things. I take the actions of like what it looks like to be like, by not um, using substances that I used to use, for example. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And then what's the growth point from there? Um, for me, at first, yoga, uh, I replaced some of that time mm -hmm. that I was doing those things with my practice. And then I gradually built, um, you know, wellness and, um, you know, not uh, my practice became a relationship, like the same way I have a relationship to my recovery. And when I have an injury, my body says no. So am I engaging and listening to that? Or do I do my yoga anyways because I want to do that? So it's been important for me to really explore like self-respect of like the healing process of what my body knows, what happens intuitively, the wisdom that is there that I have within. And then how do I um, find that and access that so it can then move into the uh, move into like uh, the world like so the that wisdom and knowing from subtle to gross so it's like this exploring of like what I receive from outside of myself within and then coming like once I'm inside like within like the wisdom or truth kind of this maybe knowing or maybe some folks call it intuition or um, other spiritual kinds of experiences that um, can have a sense of like direction and what's right. Um, I don't know. That was kind of a long and circular answer, but I think I, I got to do it. I loved each and every part of it. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> oh man. I, I, over the weekend, I watch uh, the first episode of Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. Um, mm. It's a new series that dropped this year. And I, she mentioned one of the things that's really, that really stuck with me and seems to keep coming up is that, is the reminder that we are, we are feeling species, we are a feeling creature who happens to think and not the other way around. And I think, and I know for me, my personal experience I was socialized to, to think first and that, and to just be in my head and that feelings are a distraction from the, you know, productivity or things that have to be done. And so much of what you said just, again, brought me back to that, that reminder. And I, I think what an important and critical point for, people in recovery, people supporting those in recovery, just that 
I mean, they're called feelings because or emotions are feelings because we feel them right in our body, in our physical body. Anyway, kind of a long circular response to your thoughts too. <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. And I, I think that there's a, a space and place to like think and intellectualize. Oh, for sure. For me, intellectualizing, intellectualizing like didn't help my uh, recovery journey though. It usually would like in my experience, like my own, <clears throat> wanting to do things got in the way of like what was actually presenting itself in my life. And so when I can notice, um, it's like the, uh, I, it's the saying like, uh, don't hustle align. I don't <laughs> know if I'm getting that right. Or it's like hustle crossed out and then, then it says align. So I think that is kind of the path I'm on imagining a post-capitalist world. Um, the way I'm resisting is like moving slowly and deeply and um, working with fewer people so like they can have more of my time and attention. And um, I can be really intentional about my listening and my work. Um, and I think that's valuable when, you know, generally capitalism and systems want like more, bigger, better, faster and growth. Um, which is now is sustainable. Mm -hmm. So my my idea too is really to inspire people. Well, first of all, what I love about being a peer and doing yoga with folks is like uh, I don't I do one on one yoga with people, so it's not like I'm in a class and people just come in and they leave. Mm -hmm. Like I might we might be practicing and we're talking about it as we're as I'm practicing with folks. Like what's coming up? What do you notice different from today? you know today from the last time my body is speaking to me and am I listening to what that means um one of the things I like to do is like uh in practice we just do some like neck movement like I say like yes and so we share and we say like what we want to say yes to out loud like how does it feel to say yes to that like or as far as boundaries what do you want to say no to I don't always have people say it out loud but sometimes mm -hmm. they like to like saying no and like what do you say no to like <laughs> feeling what no is in the body and feeling what yes is in the body um can be important it's been really important for my own life and um how i um explore boundaries and maintain a sense of wellness in my life um i want to say yes to everything and uh if I did, I wouldn't have time for my own yoga practice. So, uh, and I really like yoga. <laughs> I, um, I, I continue to carve out space for that. I say yes to yoga. I like that. Heather, thank you so much for sharing everything you have today and have and making space for this conversation and for sharing and, and beyond that, the, the things you're doing for the field of peers and folks in recovery and the world. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Um, happy to have folks learn more about me um, at my website, if I may share. That was my next it's, question. Uh, what do you want to plug? All right. Yeah. Um, PeerspectiveWellness.ppcbrands.com. I'm hoping it can be in text along with this. Um, Definitely will be just more about me 
what I do, um, the kinds of work I'm available for. Um, yoga and peer support is a, a fraction of what I do, but I like to incorporate that and kind of focus that here today. But yes, it's been a pleasure um, being here today and sharing more. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Heather. All right, listeners, I am here with Heather. Heather, welcome. Um, Thank you for being here and representing Robin's Hope. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, So I'm somebody with uh, lived experience with mental health and trauma struggles um, most of my life. And um, I had a great job. I was doing really good. Uh, Things were going well, but there was a lot of stuff brewing underneath and enough stress um, and it kind of cracked the mold, um, that evidently was the mask that I was hiding that I didn't even know I was hiding, um, ended up on disability, uh, still am essentially on disability because more uh, issues came up through that verb complex pain and such. Uh, but a couple years ago, somebody encouraged me to take the peer recovery specialist training. I did not really know why, uh, but I went with it. That sounds cool. Um, <laughs> somebody believed in me. <laughs> All right. Um, and <laughs> that complex pain picked back up. So I had to put it on hold again. And then uh, I had this moment where my higher power, like, something needs to happen. Like mm-hmm. I can't handle the level of pain and I want to be able to do more and you're not really giving me that opportunity. <laughs> All right. I made a promise that I would get out there and I would work with people who are struggling and share my lived experience as a way to help others Soon after, I had a procedure. It took away all the most of the pain, um, and I get those procedures regularly. And I am then the idea of Robin's Hope was born. Uh, it took some time to recover for myself, of course, recovery first. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, and I then my roommate actually is a, the other co-founder of our organization, and we've been talking about some ideas. And just it slowly evolved to this organization. And I just never in a million years thought I would be in this place. And it's exactly where I needed to be. That's beautiful, Heather. Thank you so much for sharing that, those pieces of yourself and those pieces of your story. Um, wow. Sorry. I'm a little just caught off guard about blown away in a good way, in a good way. Um do you mind telling me, telling me and the listeners a little bit more about Robin's Hope and what you and your co-founder do? Yeah. Uh, so the other co-founder, Jennifer Kell, she's actually a licensed clinical social worker. Um, and then I am certified and registered peer recovery specialist. Uh, the idea of lived and learned experience coming together uh, for a strong foundation to support people uh, overcoming the impact of trauma or simply the impact of life. Um, So, uh, and that's where it was born. I 
Robin's Hope in general, our mission statement is to empower individuals uh, to thrive through a safe peer run uh, community that inspires, wait, promotes resilience, uh, promotes connection, uh, inspires resilience and um, builds resilience. That's close. <laughs> I, it's, I'm always changing that up, but basically <laughs> it's about hope, resilience and connection and our um, offering a safe space for people uh, who feel like, you know, the world isn't safe anymore, that nobody could believe in them. And through our groups, we connect with one another and inspire one another, encourage and empower one another. Uh, we started with you know, a small space, um, a little small group room, and we have since moved. We were upstairs. We didn't have ADA access. We have since, in the last three and a half years, we opened in June of 2018, and uh, we are now in a space that's larger and ADA accessible. But even more so with the uh, pandemic, uh, what was truly a blessing for us is that we went virtual mm -hmm. and uh, we didn't know what to expect there, but we are now operating seven days a week virtually. Wow. Um, yes. And two days in person. Um, the seven days a week virtual started out with this, you know, we started, we kept everything we were doing at Robin's Hope before the pandemic. And then as the stay-at-home orders came in, we wanted to keep as much the same as possible because the uh -huh. rest of the world is changing. Sure. Um, and then, yeah. And then later, <laughs> later, um, what I was hearing was, I really like these check-ins. We have check-ins um, Monday through Friday, um, 12 to 1, roughly. Okay. And... Um, they were like, this just gives me another restart to my day. You know, maybe the morning mm -hmm. didn't go well, or maybe I didn't get anything accomplished. But then I'm meeting with other people and, you know, laughing and, you know, crying, struggling with others. Um, I start to have a bit more momentum in my day and I need them. We were only doing them on Mondays and Wednesdays back then. Mm -hmm. They said, we need the, more of those. So in my original idea of Robin's Hope, I said, well, this isn't about me. Mm -hmm. Who's going to step up? <laughs> you guys can run this group just as well as I can. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs> yes. You mean I have to work? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I said, if that's something that you want, then, you know, it doesn't need to be just me doing it. And I don't have that energy. Mm -hmm. um, and so they stepped up. And then um, Jennifer started getting clinical interns on her side. So our nonprofit, Jeremiah Foundation, Inc., mm -hmm. uh, is the primary nonprofit or umbrella. And then we have InterTouch and Robin's Hope. InterTouch is the counseling side. Uh, Robin's Hope is the peer-run program itself. Um, and she started getting, uh, 
interns on her side of things. And they were running groups and encouraging the people that were coming. They really liked those. They started coming up with their own groups and things kind of just took off. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the point where we're at today. And now we are, some of the groups that we offer are, uh, we have an art group. We have uh, the Artist Way book group, which is more so uh, like going through a workbook and mm-hmm. um, get, taking artist dates and um, morning pages, writing our, in journal in the morning when we wake up. We have the check-ins that I said, which are typically a two to three minute check-in at first. And then we have time, hopefully we have time for everybody to check in and we open the opportunity to expand on and offer support where needed if wanted. It's a place where if you don't want to hear like the support of others, you don't have to. You don't even have to speak. The only thing in our guidelines is that we require you to acknowledge yourself. So that could be hello <laughs> in chat. <Right. laughs> uh, maybe share a name. And it could be a made-up name. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, completely fine. Um, but we do try to keep names and then where people are coming from. Um, so then we have our foundational group, the one that we started with, which is called Rise. And Rise, um, it really goes back to the beginning when um, Jennifer and I tried to start some trauma support groups because I needed them. Nobody would come. Nobody would come. Who wants to talk about the worst thing ever to people <laughs> they don't know about? I thought it was cool. <laughs> so um, we came across a card deck um, from Community Resilience Initiative. Uh, that's about aces Mm -hmm. and it had the 10 aces in there, but then had the 42 resilient skills that were evidence-backed to help support somebody overcoming difficult stuff. We were like, wow, 52 cards, 52 weeks. We don't have to play in. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, (laughs) And poof, it started. And, Several people showed up and then several more to the point of we had standing room only right before the pandemic. Um, And now we're getting to a place where we're building in person and uh, virtual is continuing to build. We do our best to try and keep groups small or as small as they can be, uh, even to the extent of if I need to bring on other interns and create breakout rooms during those groups and that's what it takes. Um, so that's a little bit about Robin's Hope. I, I say a lot that community is what tore me down, but community is what's bringing me back. I needed this. It was a selfish start. Um, <laughs> I was like, I, I need something, a place where I feel safe enough to be able to ex- share stuff that's hard and also know that others get it. Um, And so our emphasis on healing trauma and building resilience has been really powerful over the past couple of years. Um, The other piece I say um, is that it was just a dream, right? Mm -hmm. It was, it was a dream I didn't think was possible. 
But that dream turned into reality when people showed up. <laughs> and when you write your book, that needs to be one of the taglines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and we have um, this, the idea of the power of one. Mm-hmm. Power of one person, one voice, one story. One person showing up, not even saying a thing that has such a ripple to the communities around us and the impact that we have in the world. If we can heal us and improve our well-being and build on our resilience, then we can pass that on. And it doesn't matter how young or how old you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. What a... Man, Heather, you're just blowing me away today. I <laughs> I could just sit here and listen to you talk for the full half hour. You don't need me to be here. <laughs> Let me throw out something else. Yeah. So, um, so at Robin's Hope and over to, let's see, right there. Um, and also, uh, you don't see it, others don't see it on the radio, but llamas. <laughs> llamas. Yes. Talk to me about your llamas. <laughs> you uh, Going to our website, you're going to see a llama and a little bird on top. And they have superhero capes. Um, when we first started, it was like, oh, who, you know, this stuff seems dry. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to dig deep that way. But what we found in our meetings were we weren't necessarily, we were digging deep, but we were also having fun. Mm-hmm. And that was another piece that helped with healing. Um, And because we'd have belly laughs so much so that I'd be down on the floor laughing um, that we, people in our groups decided we need a a gimmick or we need a mascot, something that says we have fun because it isn't just, you know, dealing with the work. So they came up with this phrase um, that, Deal with your drama. Take it to the trauma llama <laughs> at Robin. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and um, that day changed my life. <laughs> um, so, and it happened to be a day when there was a huge storm and we probably shouldn't have even had group at all anyway, but we didn't know what the heck we were doing. And two people showed up. Um, so we laughed about it. We went on their separate ways. We came back that next week. We shared it with the rest of the group. The rest of the group laughed about it and left, came back. And then I start hearing, oh, did you see the llama at? Or what about this llama? Or, you know, I didn't realize so-and-so had llamas. And then I start getting uh, messages on my phone of pictures of llamas in stores and Uh, emails of different things that were llama oriented, then gifts start showing up of llamas. And I'm like, I didn't need this. I don't know. The cool thing about it, as this has evolved, I thought surely this was going to go by. Just wait for another holiday. Wait for another holiday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The way they use llamas, (laughs) it didn't go away. So we were looking at doing a new logo and uh, locally uh, we have a college VCU and they were 
they had chosen us to do a brand design and they came up with um, this llama and a little Robin on top for Robin's Hope, um, Mm. born out of somebody else who had this vision and got it started initially years ago. So um, the llama showed up and um, we had that in our logo and I didn't know where that was going to go, but essentially I'm the trauma lady. I'm the trauma llama lady or the llama (laughs) lady or uh, people call me Robin. (laughs) Um, But here's the neat piece. Here's the Mm -hmm. piece that really comes together. Yeah. Llamas. Um, Llamas are animals that you can put with other vulnerable animals and they will protect as their own. And I just, that hit me in such a way. And then in one of our groups, somebody said, yeah, we're not the healing herd, H-E-R-D. We are the healing herd, H-E-A-R-D. And it just blows my mind yeah I mean it's a hilarious story about how it kind of the branding of it or the mascot was kind of thrust upon you but how I mean what serendipity for it to be representative of everything you and and Robin's Hope do for others yeah I like it a lot Mm. Did not see that coming. (laughs) And so we've grown. We've grown from two days a week to seven days virtually, two days in person. We'll continue to build. We recently got some funding from the state, which is a big deal. We've barely been able to make it. Um, Mm -hmm. This will help us build foundationally and create a sustainability plan moving forward. You know, our hope is that we can put together some form of model out of this. Um, with trauma and resilience that Mm -hmm. can be shared around the country because what we found out virtually is that we had people coming from all over the country that, you know, get crying that there's, there's a space out there for them. Mm -hmm. And then asking where, where can I get that here? Well, certainly I want to encourage other peer run organizations. Right. And yet they're still coming. There's something about that space that we've been creating. And uh, even recent up until the past, like six months ago, we had somebody from North Africa join us. That's Um, cool. Yeah. Somebody from South Africa wanted to come to one of our trainings, uh, Mm -hmm. British Columbia. Um, That's just been such a, from, from somebody who did this selfishly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just the impact you're having globally. I mean, really. Yeah. But I think it also tells that if you if you build off of your own lived experience, you're going to meet a need. Yeah. Experience is expertise. Yep. Yeah. Well, Heather, you've kind of glossed over it a little bit, but do you want, do you want to say a little bit about Robin and where that, the namesake of the organization? Okay. So the overall organization is Jeremiah Foundation. um, And it was 
So Jennifer actually had had a previous roommate um, and I struggle with my mental health um, dissociative identity disorder. Um, it's not a widely talked about topic and a lot of stigma associated with it. Um, but that previous roommate, Robin, had that, had that diagnosis and was in and out of the hospital a lot, faced a lot of stigma mm-hmm. and also struggled with, okay, I get support, maybe if I'm lucky, in the hospital, mm-hmm. but I'm going from 24-hour care to one day a week, maybe. Yeah. For therapy. And there's got to be some kind of in between. Mm-hmm. So Robin came up with the nonprofit, you know, helped like started it, go got got it going. And um and then there was I guess they started it as a youth program actually, because Jennifer just was like, I like kids. I want to work with kids. <laughs> um and but Robin had re- then had a stroke um, that made sounds really intense, and then suddenly they they kind of pulled back on the whole uh, program. Robin passed away in two thousand nine, um, and I met Jennifer in two thousand I guess eleven or ten or eleven or something like that, mm-hmm. and she told me about Robin and I felt like we were connected somehow, like connected to the soul. We just had so many of the same things happening and connecting with, uh, been out in and out of the hospital a ton of times, you know, needing that ongoing support. Uh, and so as I started to feel better, it, and Jennifer, she went, she did our counseling on the inner touch side. So it maintained some form of, um, kept the program going, but mm-hmm. then it came time to this vision that came up and Jennifer said, you know, this is so sim. this is what Robin really was talking about. Robin was always right. Um, mm-hmm. and so we named it in honor of her, Robin's hope. Man, Heather, you're, you are full of just very powerful, powerful stories Thank you for sharing with me, with our listeners, and everyone you you come in contact with. Thank you. Yeah. I, I appreciate others who listen, and I always want to get to learn more about other organizations, both locally in my area in Chesterfield, Virginia, but also around the country, uh, because if I know of a resource, then I can pass it on to somebody who might be in our group that's struggling. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, is there anything you want to plug or let our listeners know how they can get in touch with Robin's hope and maybe join you for one of those check-ins? Yeah. So, uh, Robin's hope, you can reach us through our website, www.robinshope.com. That's R O B I N S H O P E.com. And you can also email me, Heather, at robinshope.com. Uh, you can call us. That's 804-608-9389. I'm actually extension 102, so don't hesitate. Give me a call. Um, but you are welcome to show up in a group 
and see what it's like. You don't have to fill out an application or, or anything prior to showing up. Literally, virtually, you can go to our, our website, go to our calendar page, click on the group that you want to join. There's a Zoom link. Click that Zoom link and you're going into the group. And um, our facilitators are there to, you know, welcome people new coming in and get them oriented. Um, as for a plug, um, we are going to have a gala um, in November. And we have not been successful with fundraising over the, over the pandemic. Um, and we, we did it in 2018. It went really well. Um, but we want to build on that. And this year, our theme is the power of one. Um, and there's that. So we have a need. So if there's other people out there who want to help in some way. Uh, we always need help with social media stuff. And we have, um, you know, I guess, management type stuff that that we need to learn still. So if you've got some cool experience with uh, overseeing a program or uh, working with volunteers, you know, don't hesitate to give me a shout out. <laughs> I, I absorb because <laughs> I didn't know anything about nonprofits when I started. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Heather, thank you so much for being here today. And again, thank you for sharing your story and the story of Robin's Hope. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for connecting with us, listeners. Our goal in sharing stories and information is to provide hope and resources to the field of peer recovery. Please join us again next month on Recovery Talk. You can find our episodes on our website, peerrecoverynow.org. That's peerrecoverynow.org, or wherever you find your podcasts. The Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enhance peer recovery support services by expanding access to training and technical assistance services across the country. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, nor does mention of trade names, commercial practices, or organizations imply endorsed by the U.S. government. Talk with you next time.